Welcome, everybody. I am here. This is Chantel Lopez. I am here with Deborah Colway, my cohort, co-host, and partner in the Thinking Pilates podcast. This is our sixth episode um, that we have put together, and I'm really excited to be talking today, looking more into how and if we use the order and teaching, so the order of, of exercises. And um, this is the very specific topic, but it's come up in conversation over the last uh, several weeks for Deborah and I, both in the podcast and just in private conversation around Pilates philosophy and Pilates principles. And then diving into a little bit how and if we, as um, you know, Pilates teachers around the world, if our teaching and kind of our stance or our viewpoint of Pilates is in any way connected to Return to Life, Joe's um, book. So, uh, hi, Deborah. Hi there, Chantel. Yeah, so it's um, we've been having, you know, kind of uh, several tangential conversations around this because I think the, the, the topic of the Pilates philosophy slash principles, you know, is just affords us such a wide berth of, of, um, you know, information and topics, but particularly looking at, you know, when and why and how, and if we use the order in our teaching. And, and as you said earlier, does that feel like it satisfies us in some way? Were we taught to follow the order and do we have an appreciation for that? Or do we feel confined by that. So that's the topic for today, which I'm pretty excited about. And I thought perhaps, Deborah, you might start and share just a bit of your perspective because you've taken this journey from um, n- maybe not using the orders so much in the beginning of your training and then being very dedicated to them since being involved with the Pilates Center. And I would just, you know, your, your perspective is so interesting and valuable. So why don't we start? Why don't we start there? Okay. Well, uh, over the years, I've actually thought about what it is for people in any endeavor to have an opportunity to participate in in some kind of an activity that actually has a beginning, a middle, and an end. Mm-hmm. And um, so, on the one hand, of course, there is something very beneficial about warming the body up. So if you have some sense that you are taking somebody through a process, that you're warming them up and setting the stage and opening up the body to move more and more, do, you know, more complex exercises or whatever that is, so that there's a fullness to that as the lesson progresses, that's one thing. And then, of course, there's also the development over time, which is um, kind of a a developmental process where you're understanding the method in stages and where and when to add in complexity, mm-hmm. how much a person can learn at any given time and when is the body ready. But there's this other piece that I think is really uh, interesting too, which is this issue of us being so distracted all the time in our lives 
so busy, the love of multitasking, and that not only is our our Pilates session an opportunity to stop thinking about all the other parts of our life and to get into the mindfulness and the focus and become refreshed simply because we're allowing ourselves to step out of our our daily grind, if you will, but also how much interruption there is in our lives all the time. And this, I, I really began to appreciate this when I was, when I had my daughter and being the mother of a an infant and then a toddler and just juggling all of those aspects of life. I felt that was uh, a time in my life when I really learned, when I was really frustrated by feeling like I never could complete anything. Not only projects, but like a thought in my head. It's constantly being interrupted. I feel like our lives are are like that. We're jumping thing to thing. And that our nervous system is affected by that. And that if you organize lessons and allow them to have a flow that is purposeful and a beginning and a middle and an end... It actually is beneficial to the system on that level as well because people don't have that many things in their life where they're actually having that experience. And even if they don't think it, even if you don't say, hey, here's our beginning, here's our middle, here's our end, if you organize the lessons such that way, there will be a continuity, there'll be a flow, and there'll be a feeling of completion. I guess that's what I really want to say is how much of our lives – do we just, we're never feeling that, ah, you know, that resolution. Mm. I think it's, I think it's healthy to have that. And so having said that, the method provides a structure that can help us actually provide that aspect of the work for, for people. Yeah. As, as, you know, that's one, that's actually one aspect of it that maybe isn't talked about very much. Yeah. Well, I think it depends on the um, environment, as we've also discussed, whether or not it's talked about very much. Or um, I feel a little bit like from my own training, it was definitely taught and talked about, but perhaps more so as like a token little bit of practical implication, you know, it to use, but not as like, didn't feel like to me, like it was a, a mandate or, mm-hmm. you know, there wasn't a lot of talk necessarily about why, why is this valuable? How, I mean, to my recollection, there's very likely there was, and I was not either ready to hear it or just not listening, you know, at, <laughs> yeah, ready to admit that. But, um, uh, when you were talking, it's so funny because I, uh, just this morning, I, I am having that experience that you were describing of having a young, young child and not feeling like you could complete anything. And yeah. it's, it's so intense and it is a magnification. I think of just modernity, right? Our modern lives. And my, my, experience in teaching recently has been that I think because of the state of my life, my very personal experience, I'm gravitating and craving and moving toward not only 
traditional orders, which I am finding, as you know, you alluded to and have said in the past, is very liberating to have that clarity and consistency framework. Um, and even if it's not a traditional order, that there is a sense of great relief and freedom for me in just working off a plan. Not even a plan that I created, but perhaps a plan or a session program that has been passed down to me. And if there's so much, I've been able to cultivate so much more joy in that recently. Where So I, I'm finding this conversation very relevant and, you know, just having an almost visceral experience of it in, in these last six months or so. Whereas before, I very much was of the mind... Um, or inclination to be not tethered to one, you know, a particular order or a way of doing things every time, but being creative and thoughtful and very in the moment, which I find a lot of, you know, intrinsic value for myself. But there is a lot of anxiousness, I think, that goes along with that for me, not necessarily in a bad way, but in a taxing kind of way. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you feel like you have to make it up newly every time. Yeah, or just like the expectation is so high that mm-hmm. if you it, that if it's not perfectly crafted, it's not a value. And that's I think yeah. you know that's a that's a that's a belief that I think is coupled with this inclination to always want it to be new and fresh. But I don't think it's I think it's fairly fairly common yeah. relationship. Mm-hmm. Well, there's two, before you keep going, because I want to pull out two things from what I heard you say, um, because I don't think that they're um, counter. In other words, the ability to be intuitive and creative and fresh, I forget if you actually use that word, but, they, but the, the ability to be intuitive and creative and in the moment and all those good things is up to us if we actually work with being present to the person that we're working with. In other words, there's, that's not a trade-off. We don't either teach orders or be creative and, and, and be able to rely on our intuition and our deeper senses to make choices. You know, it's um, because a lot of the, mm, the way that the intuition and the creativity can be expressed isn't necessarily by changing the order, or hey, let's go over here and try this. Hey, let's go over here and try this. It's actually how we communicate more effectively with the person. It's being able to be more uh, in tune to them and finding more skillful ways to communicate and then having, oh boy, how am I going to say this, like a stronger point of view about what's, what the person needs and, and not necessarily jumping to do something else, but, um, you know, going, continuing with what you're doing and being able to speak to the person about what you see and what you think would be beneficial. And then at the end or before they leave, then, okay, let's go over here and do these things and maybe you could do this for homework or hey, if you could come in a few minutes early and do these exercises on your own, let's make sure you're comfortable with these. And if you do this on your own several times a week, it's going to make a big difference in the time that we have together. 
you know, we'll get more out of it and you'll progress faster or something like that if that's the goal, you know. So, um, yeah, I just, I don't think that intuitive and creative are necessarily separate from, you know, working with a strong structure. And the other part that I want to pull out is um, with regard to the anxiety, I, I, I notice in our teacher training program and when I work with newer teachers and, and everything that there's, it all comes out of being extremely conscientious and mm-hmm. wanting so much to be, be proficient at what we do and helpful, etc. Um, there's a setup, however, that can occur where the client is expecting, we teach them to expect something from us, which separates, uh, the experience. In other words, we want them to own their experience. We want to hand over as much of the process as we can to them. And so there has to be continuity there. We can't change it up every time. Or they will, it's subtle, but it happens, they will, they'll come in kind of blank. They'll come in expecting us to run the whole show. Instead of coming in as a partner with us in their in their progress. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I think it's an interesting point. So um, it's funny, this little back and forth we're doing. Um, I think that you're absolutely right about the creativity and intuition not being, they're not mutually exclusive. And in fact, and, you know, what I was saying before, I feel like is a reflection of of my younger teaching self. And more recently coming to this same knowing of what you're talking about is that in fact, the, the order or a consistent, you know, a dedication to building in a very specific way, in fact, lends itself to greater creativity and intuition in those moments. And I just, you know, I love this because for me, when I'm in that, um, and I'm, it's like, the tendency, and I see this in new teachers a lot, and, and I don't know because, you know, our worlds are a little bit different in terms of the teachers that we're teaching in the curriculum just a little bit, but that when, when a new teacher sees something or suspects something of go, not going quite right or, you know, not working, you know, the way they anticipate, that they often don't stick with it as you're saying, right? There's a, there's a desire to like, Oh, well, this might not, this must not be working. It must not be feeling good. Let's go over here and change it completely. Let's do something else. And it's like, well, that, what value is there in that? I mean, there are of course moments where we need to really change gear, but I think for the most part, the ability and the skill that it takes to see when something is not working and stick with it and be very present to be able to tweak it or maneuver it or have the conversation or tease out the sensation mm-hmm. or the, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. what's happening for the student. This is, I think this is so, it's so imperative and so valuable and something that perhaps a lot of teachers never come to 
that mm-hmm. is perpetuated by, as you say, which I love, this really strong point of view, right? And having a container that holds us very safely and we can, it's like, well, this is, you know, this is the program. This is what we're doing. And let's see how you can flourish within it without, mm-hmm. you know, going in a million different directions and losing sight of the intent of it. Yeah. I- yeah it's really, you know, it, it really is a fascinating piece. It makes me think so much of, you know, like very structured practices like Zen Buddhism or, you know, anything that has just a very clear framework for how to practice, you know, so that it is repetitive and consistent and it so builds familiarity. Familiar, I mean, I think that what yes. um, what we crave, whether we put these words on it or not, I mean, obviously people are different, um, but I think that humans crave enough repetition, enough consistency, literally, I mean, to calm down. Because, again, I, I keep thinking about the speed of everything and the insistence on change and new and different and, um, you know, yeah, been there, done that. And so, uh, but but there's something inside us that, that craves the the familiarity, mm. you know, and the thing is when we have it, when, then we can relax and we can start to actually enrich what we're doing. So it's, um, so then we add exercises or we, we make the ones that we're doing a little bit more complicated or we do it on the pole as opposed to the, you know, you, you like you move around the studio, you utilize the method, of course, but there's a familiarity with a certain way of being or way of doing it over and over that then, um, I want to say, it like relaxes us enough that we can, we can involve ourselves in it more. Like yeah. whatever, whatever the practice is, we actually can open up to paying attention to more stuff at the same time, for example. Like, you know, it's, it's, I mean, just as I'm talking to you and thinking on my feet here, you know how it is when with new clients, they get, you know, we give them too many details, they kind of freeze up. Yes. You know, we mm-hmm. give them too much information, they give you the luck, you know. Uh, I just I have so many memories of when I was younger and teaching and people just looking at me like, come on, Deborah. You're telling me here, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. and so, uh, but, but then, and so you can't, you sort of, you get, you hold your breath, you know, because you're listening so hard to what the teacher is telling you instead of, oh yes, I know this part and now I know this part and now I know this part because I've now done this many times. Mm-hmm. I can actually anticipate this. It's not like mindless. It's that there's actually value in being able to anticipate and not wait to have to be told every single step of the way that you then have more, literally like more space yeah. in your mind-body connection to take to take in a little bit more. And, and again and again, it's, it's a developmental process. Yeah, and I think um, what you were saying earlier about that in this way, 
the consistency and familiarity and this ability to relax really does facilitate a student taking greater ownership in the work. And it makes me think it's a reflection of what I often talk about with the teachers is that it's okay to just, you know, stop talking a little bit, like yeah. just less words, like give a little information and then let the bot, let the person, let the body just do what it's going to do. Let it figure it out. Let it experience it without your kind of constant overhanging direction and voice and control. You know, it's like, just be quiet a little bit. You know, you've got to yeah. give the body space to feel it and know it and explore it without your commentary. And I feel like this yeah. is a reflection of that in a lot of ways, you know, less, less constant shifting and constant newness, um, more intelligent dosing of material in order to create that space, both kind of internally and externally. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very cool. It's very, very cool. And, it, and to me, it's like kind of, uh, and there's a, there's an excitement in it in terms of sharing this perspective with the teachers who I come into contact with, because I mean, it's, you know, it is not the standpoint. I mean, we were talking about earlier a couple of days ago about having a strong point of view. And my reflection on that the last couple of days has been, I feel like I have always had a very strong point of view, even when not being, even when my teaching was not guided very you know, directly by an order or even a very consistent, you know, session program, which is interesting for me to think about. But now get just feeling myself get kind of newly excited about this being a very strong point of view and the value, the value that it has, infinite value that it has for for new teachers and experienced teachers alike. Uh, yeah. I mean, when I, when I was listening to you, I thought it's again about, I think we've had this conversation about, like you said, environment and then kind of depending on, depending on the studio that you work in or the clientele, more classes, more privates, what's the equipment like? Do people have access to the whole gamut of equipment, um, you know, one of the ways that I used to organize myself very much, and it, I can't say I, I can't say that I stick to it so much these days, but I still believe in it, is this idea that you have, you know, the reformer is your support system for sure, right? You've got reformer, and then we have our mat work, which is more mobile and less, you know, cumbersome. You can find a spot anywhere, right? And then everything else. And our industry has changed so much in terms of having things be group classes, at least it is here, that we've lost sight of, for example, the Cadillac work as... Um, the support structure for people's uniform development when they 
aren't getting exactly what they need simply through the reformer or the mat. Or the chair, yes, the chair is the traditionally the piece that you could have at home because it was smaller, but also that the exercises are different on the chair. They're, they're more singular. You can pull out and build skills or right. symmetry or balance. And then, of course, with the barrels, which are so gorgeous, all the work that can be done on the barrels as um, my mind is coming up with the word remedial, but that's not, I don't really mean remedial. Um, that's not quite what I mean. It's, it's more like filling in, like helping the extra nutrition, <laughs> mm. you know, or something like, so we've got the barrels and of course magic circle. And that doesn't even take into account the things that people have started to use more recently that weren't in Joseph Pilates studio. But um, what I'm trying to say is we used to think this way. We used to, and Ramana taught this very clearly. You do your reformer, you do your mat, and then what she would call the optional. Mm-hmm. And optional, not like, ah, I feel like doing it, I don't feel like doing it, but more the filling, the fillings in. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're a dancer, you should do more of this. Mm-hmm. You're of this, you need that. Oh, you've had hip replacement you need to do extra of these, mm-hmm. you know? So it was on the one hand, you had your flow, you had your sequence, you had your beginning, middle, and end order at the level that you were, and then you had your extras. Yeah. And uh, we, you know, I think what happens often is we overteach. We think, like, we do a whole hour on the reformer or a whole hour just mat, or people just come to class, mm. you know? And so they only get the one part, or we have pole classes now, or chair classes. And so then that material has been structured, all really nice and fun, of course, into orders that actually never were orders. Right. (laughs) And um, so it's, it's interesting to go back every once in a while for me and recommit to that template of the former Matt, and then the stuff you need. And then, of course, depending on how often people come in, it's also variety, mm-hmm. you know, so that they don't get, um, uh, sick of it. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, that, I mean, we don't get sick of it because we love it and we are constantly exploring and experimenting. But, you know, people that aren't, thinking about it the way we think about it sure they want to know how can I spice it up a little bit yeah and I think too it helps to I mean just physiologically I feel like it helps to peel the layers away and inform the body in a different way I mean you you know mm-hmm. we have these oh, exercises yeah. that are yeah because we habituate really quickly don't we yes when, yeah. so, that, oh, so that's interesting right on the one hand there's the value of the familiarity and then on the other hand there's taking note of when people just habituate to something and aren't really getting um, juice from it anymore. Yeah, and, and then mental complacency, right? I mean, there is, yeah. there, there is I think, cautionary tales to be um, brought to light about whether we're being, you know, inconsistent, kind of constantly changing or following more of the sequencing and orders that in either case, you know, there are, there are pitfalls. There are things that we have to be kind of uh, awake and alert to. 
exactly um, a wig. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, it, and then it depends on the population of people, too. Yeah. I have a lot of elderly people in my clientele right now, and they really, really want to do the same thing. They yeah. really, they like that. And they also, um, they like to prove to me that they remember. Yes. You know, yeah. as part of the relationship and yeah. that they know. And that, yeah, it's, it's different. So, again, it's going to be, yeah, you can't have the same same point of view for everybody. Right. You have your overall point of view about the Pilates method, right? But then there, there's also um, adjustments depending on who it is. Yeah. Well, you know that the that the point of view is dynamic, right? Not yeah. Not singular. Um, I know Amy has said this to me before. She said, you know, like just don't make a rule of it. Like you know, it's right. it's fine to have a strong point of view and to hold that point of view, and yet there are always going to be moments where it needs to be different, um, changed, adjusted, developed. Yeah. So yeah. I think you know it's. I appreciate what you're saying too about this idea of reformer and mat and then kind of the complementary. what do you really need to work on um, as an interesting foundation for creating or appreciating the sequence or the orders, right? And, mm-hmm. and I, I think that might be interesting to teachers to kind of look at how they're, even if they're not going to listen to this conversation and seek out all of the traditional sequences and orders, but, but perhaps just be more mindful about how they're teaching. Um, I think this is an interesting, um, perspective that you're talking about in terms of the former mat work as the, you know, as the basis. And, you know, since we're trying to keep the podcasts, you know, short ish, I think mm-hmm. this, you know, we've, we've, it's such a wonderful conversation around this and, and for me really exciting, as I said before, but I would be really curious to know what people's perspective is on this. Yeah. I would love topic. to have people call in or get back and yeah, call get in. back to us and put their experience of this one way or the other. Yeah. Yeah. So I think maybe we'll close today and just put the, put the request out there to, um, you know, like we really want to hear from you all and to comment either on the website, thinkingpilates.com, or feel free to comment on SoundCloud if you're listening to this podcast via SoundCloud. There is an opportunity to comment and to let us know, you know, what do you think about all of this? Are you digging it? Are you not? Do you, you know, what's your experience with it? What challenges have you come across or what successes have you had? Um, And then, of course, you can contact us directly at thinkingpilates at gmail.com. And one way or the other, we, uh, you know, we want to hear from you and we, we really want your voice to be the motivation for our ongoing topics and perhaps, you know, ongoing topic, this continuing this topic, if it feels appropriate in any case, mm-hmm. thank yeah. you, <laughs> Deborah. Thanks thank you. again for yeah. taking the time. Delightful. Just delightful. Yeah. So awesome. Always. Where did you get your favorite pair of shoes?